we're in a series right now called Family Matters, part two. We did a series called Family Matters a few years ago, and now we're in part two. And mostly we've been talking about raising children. And we've, <clears throat> the last few weeks, we've been talking about training kids and raising adults, right? Not raising kids. We're training adults, not raising kids. And we've, we've been looking at eight milestones. And I want to, if we can show that graphic, I want to just remind you of that and show you that. But we have eight milestones that we've been looking at. These are eight things that we want our kids to have when they leave our house. And uh, it doesn't matter what age they are, you could start instilling these things. Some of us are way ahead of the game. Good for that. Some of us are kind of behind the eight ball and we need to play some catch up. And that's okay too. Uh, if you want to, if you haven't already, you can snap a screenshot of the of the screen or you can write these down. But I would encourage you, if you are raising kids, you should keep these things in your mind. Now, this is my uh, personal list. And so you may not agree with everything on it or you may want to add some things to it. That's fine as well. But these are eight things that I value and I consider to be the, the highest priority in putting into my, my children. These are things that I remind myself of often because of, sometimes we need to be reminded what really matters. We get caught up in things. We get caught up in all kinds of things that really don't matter, that actually aren't going to help them in this life. They're just things they want to do or things that are fun now, but they're not things that are going to necessarily cause them to be a, a follower of Christ and to make the biggest impact on this earth that they possibly can. So let's just look through them real quick. We're not going to, of course, I'm taking probably a whole sermon on each of these and then and some sermons in between too. So who knows how long this series is going to be. <clears throat> some, some, you know, if, if someone gets really mad, they just tell me, hey, Pastor, let me know when you get off of that sermon series and I'll come back to church. That's fine. You know, if you just at least watch online, you know, that way you stay caught up. But no, number one is we want to have a strong, vibrant relationship with God. This is the number one thing I'm looking for in my children is a strong, vibrant relationship with God. They could, they could not have a lot of other things and have this right and, and they're going to do well in life. I want them to have a strong, vibrant relationship with God, and I consider it my responsibility and my priority to make sure that that happens. Now, of course, I can't make them love God. I can't change their heart, but I am going to do everything I can do as long as it depends on my part and what my part is. I'm going to do everything that I can do to make sure that they love God. If you've missed these first sermons, go back and catch up. You can, you can go back and hear some of these. Number two is I want them to have a love and passion for God's Word. I want them to value the Word. I want, they to, I want them to know that the Word of God is inspired, that it is inerrant, that it is God's Word and instruction for us. I want them to know that, believe that from a young age. I want them to hold it as supreme and valuable above every other voice in this life, every other opinion. Everything they're going to hear from their culture, everything they're going to hear on television, everything they're going to hear from their friends, I want them to know that the Word of God is supreme over that. The Word of God is up here, and your ideas and everybody else's are down here. That's what I want them to know and understand. I want them to believe that by the time they leave my house. And number three, which is where we're getting to today, is I want them to have a very high regard and commitment to the local church. A very high regard and commitment to the local church. I want to begin this morning by just telling you a little bit about my story and how I was raised. Uh, some of you have heard this before, but it's not going to hurt to repeat it. But you know, when I, my family was a family that, that went to church. 
And all of us kids understood that going to church was not optional. Uh, it didn't matter how you felt. didn't matter how the parents felt. didn't matter what was on TV that day. didn't matter what was happening that weekend around the, the city or the community, what big event was going on. You know, I played sports growing up, but we just better hope that it wasn't on a weekend or Wednesday night because we were going to church. Church was an extremely high priority in my family, and this is what my week looked like. Starting on Sunday morning, 9.30, Sunday school. 10.30, main service, church. Go home, eat lunch, rest a little bit, maybe watch some football. Church, 6 o'clock, Sunday night. Monday night, we went to youth at 7 o'clock. Back to church on Monday night for youth at 7 o'clock. Wednesday night, 6.30, midweek service. Saturday night, 7 o'clock, prayer. At the church. That was my week every week, and I, we, I can probably count on one hand how many services I missed. <laughs> how many of you else grew up like that? Any, anybody else? Probably, probably not too many. That may have been a little excessive. I don't know, but let me just tell you, except for that Saturday night prayer now, I loved every bit of it. I loved every bit. I fell asleep in Saturday night prayer, I'll be honest. Uh, I was young. I, you know, I didn't like Saturday night prayer too much. But other than that, I loved every minute of it. I loved going to church. And, and this is through all of my years I loved going to church. Not saying I didn't have little ups and downs, but I went to a good church. I went to a good church where the Word of God was preached, where we had fun in kids' church. We had fun in youth, the youth group. We had a good time. Not only were we at church, but we had friends. My closest friends were at church. We would have VBS. We would go to Six Flags. We'd go to camp. We had an amazing church, and that's the kind of church that I grew up in, and I I loved every minute of it. Now, some of you didn't grow up in a church like that. Some of you grew up in a church where this is what you thought of church every Sunday morning. Now, if that's the kind of church that your kids are going to, you know, if that's the kind of church your kids are being raised in, yeah, they're not going to have a love and passion for the local church. Let's just be honest. They're not. But I want to create in my kids a love and passion passion, a very, very high regard for the local church, for attending church, for going to church when you feel like it, going to church when you don't feel like it, putting it as a high priority, not just one of those things we do in our life, along with a whole list of other things, but it is one of the highest priorities in our life to go to church. Why? Because we're going to honor God, number one. We're going to honor God and we're going to honor his word. And the Bible tells us that the church is the number one way that God moves and works on this earth. Now, let me just tell you something. I know a lot of people don't fully understand that. But let me assure you that the number one way that God moves and works on this earth is through his body, through the body of Christ, which, by the way, the Bible tells that he's the head of that body, and that's how he's working. That's how he's accomplishing his will on this earth is through the body of Christ and through the church of Jesus Christ. And from the beginning, when he left this earth until now, his saints have gathered every week. Every week they've gathered to do what? Worship, like we just did. To hear the word of God, break bread together, fellowship, and honor him. And that's been the tradition from the time he left until now. Sure, the church has had ups and downs. We've had good times, bad times. But let me just tell you, I for one am never going to be cynical judgmental, critical, or give up on the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because the church of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is his bride. 
It is the bride of Christ. And I, for one, am not going to be talking about Jesus' wife. All right? If you do that, that's between you and him. Don't be talking about the bride of Christ. Now, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. He's going to be mad about that if you do. But no, of course, we know the church is not perfect. But listen, Jesus gave his life. He shed his blood for the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what the word of God says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. It says in Jesus, this, was, uh, this is a situation where Peter, they're, they're asking, Jesus is asking the disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And Peter gets it right. He says, you are the, the Christ. You are the Son of God. And that was a revelation that Jesus was a little bit surprised that Peter had because it hadn't exactly been explained to him like that. <clears throat> but Peter had the revelation. And so look at how Jesus responds. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that was Peter. Blessed are you, Peter. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. See, in other words, he got a revelation from God. You didn't get this from man. Okay? God showed you who I am. He showed you that I'm the Messiah. He revealed that to you. So blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many of you believe that Jesus was right when he said that? Now, just so we're clear on this, Peter, the rock that Christ is talking about building his church on is not Peter. Some people have confused that. Whole denominations have confused that. They thought that, they thought that Peter was the rock. Well, all you got to do is read the rest of the scripture and find out Peter wasn't the rock. <laughs> Peter, Peter had a few problems. And really, if anybody, if a man was going to be the rock other than Jesus, you really could have said it was Paul. Because <laughs> Paul is the church in the New Testament was built on the back of Paul. And, of course, Peter played a lot of uh, big role in that. But, no, that's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying the church was going to be built on Peter. He was saying the church was going to be built on the revelation that Peter just had, which that's the rock. That's the foundation. So he said, Peter... On this rock, on that revelation that you just had, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So from that time until now, the gates of hell, the kingdom of darkness, has been fighting to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and many times even pulls Christians away from the church, even causes Christians to minimize the importance of the church, even causes Christians to become lackadaisical about the church. But this is what Jesus said. Through all of that, okay, through the dark ages, through the middle ages, through a secular culture that we're living in right now that's turning its back on God in so many ways and on so many issues, he said, guess what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. My church will prevail. My church will come out on top. And again, all you have to do is go read the end of the book. Go read in the book of Revelation. There's going to be a group of people that stood strong, that persevered, that endured, and they were waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And that is what we want for ourselves, but that's what we want for our children. We want our children. Think, think about this. Go all the way back to the time of Jesus. How on earth, how on earth did this message get preached? How on earth did this little fledgling church with these little, you know, these very flawed disciples and these imperfect men, how on earth did that church spread across the entire globe how on earth has it not been stamped out snuffed out 
Again, through the dark ages, middle ages, when the church had the roughest time, there was still always a flicker. There was still always a spark. And the church of Jesus Christ could not be stamped out. But from generation to generation, it's passed on. And, And make no mistake about it. We are that generation now that's passing that on to our children. And the job that we do is going to determine how it gets carried to the next generation. How you love the Word of God, how you love God, how you love His church, and you support the bride of Christ, and you support the work that God's doing through His church on this earth, how you do that, that's going to be imparted to your children. And the job that we do will determine the next generation. Look, if, if we are lackadaisical about it, if we're half committed, half in, half out, what do you think our kids are going to be? It only stands to reason they're going to follow our example. They're going to follow our example. And by the way, I followed my parents' example. And that's why I'm here this morning. So I tell you, he said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <clears throat> Going back to my, my story, you know, I was, like I said, raised in church. And I remember probably about the time I was 10, somewhere in there, I started getting involved in serving the church. You know, we had, we had uh, <clears throat> kids ministry, children ministry from zero years old all the way up through youth. And they'd put me to work wherever I, wherever I could be because I was there all the time, you know, me and my family. So they'd grab you and they'd throw you in this room. And before I knew it, I was, I was doing puppets <clears throat> for the little kids, teaching them Bible stories with puppets. And then before you knew it, I was doing skits and, and dramas things on stage. And then I, had, I picked up a guitar and me and some friends were... Uh, leading praise and worship in the kids' church. You know, they had, we weren't very good. I could play three chords, but we were back there every, every week playing guitar and for, the, for the kids and teaching them to worship. Then when I got into youth, I don't know what they were thinking, but they asked me to start preaching when I was 15. I, who knows what was coming out of my mouth, but I, I studied the best I could, and I started preaching. And that was my, I grew up in the church, serving the church, loving the church. And I know sometimes people that were made to go to church a lot, they ended up hating it and not liking it. That was the opposite experience that I had. I loved going to church. It was a massive part of our life and still is today. And sometimes the reason that that's not the experience is because the type of churches that we were part of. Now, that's not to be critical of of any other churches or anything like that. But I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, if it's putting people to sleep, okay, and kids and youth hate it, we got a problem. I mean, if, if the church that Jesus is building, the church that he's the head of, the one that he's a part of, if we're falling asleep and the kids and the youth hate it, we got an issue. There's a problem. And so we've tried to, no, we're not perfect at it, but we have tried to build a church that kids and youth would love, adults would love, anybody would love to be a part of uh, because we want to honor God. You know, kids and youth love Jesus. I know one time somebody fell asleep during Paul's sermon and fell out the window and died. He had to raise him from the dead. I know that happened, but I, I don't ever remember anybody falling asleep during Jesus' sermon. Right? They loved him. They'd come sit on his lap. The disciples had to, you know, try to keep him away. I think that's how our kids ought to feel. When I walk around the foyer, 
Man, I'd shake hands. I love seeing the adults, but I'm going to tell you some of my favorite moments out in the foyer is when these little kids come up to me and they hug my knee, this one on this knee, one on this leg, and picking one. I love it because I love seeing kids that love Jesus, that love God. We baptize kids young. I don't care how young they are. If the parents agree, we agree. I don't care because I believe kids can love God, serve God, worship God from a young age. We get them a Bible. We teach them the Word of God. We show them how to worship. They're back there doing it this morning. They're back there worshiping. They're teaching some of the youth help serve in the kids' church. That's how it ought to be. That ought to be the church of Jesus Christ. But see, that has to be instilled. That has to be invested. That has to be poured into our kids. And you, you have to, first of all, even know that this is a priority. This is something you have to be fighting for. It can't be accidental. It can't be haphazard. It has to be intentional. In other words, this has to be one of those milestones that you know, hey, I want to create a respect and a high regard for the local church and my kids, uh, into my kids. Why? Because their future is going to depend on it. If they grow up and they get married and they raise a family and they don't have that family in church and they don't have that, their marriage in church, it's going to affect them. It's going to impact them. It's going to determine things that happen or don't happen in their life. And the stati- all the statistics show it. I could give, I've already given you so many in this series, but I could give you dozens of statistics that show study after study shows people who are very committed to their churches are happier, have better educations, better marriages, better health, and make more money. Have less divorce. Less depression, less suicide, on and on. I mean, you already know that. If you, if, you, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't be here this morning. You're here this morning because you know that, right? You believe that. But we want our kids to know that. If we truly want our kids to be successful, this is one of the, this is one of the, the secrets. This is one of the key ingredients. This is a big part of the recipe right here. But this is why I gave the milestones in the beginning because so many times we're focused on the wrong things. And we've got priorities on the wrong things. Listen, I, I know we've already covered this, but I want to say it again. You could send your kid to the best school. They could, have, they could have the master's degree, the Ph.D. They could go to the best school in the land and be absolutely miserable as a human being and absolutely ineffective for the kingdom of God. Is education important? Yes, it is. But it's not more important than them loving God, loving his word, and having a high regard and respect for the local church. And I'm going to say this, if I had to choose between a highly educated but lost, depressed, divorced child, but boy, they got an amazing education. If I had to choose between that and having a kid that loved God, loved his word, and was faithful to the local church, but didn't have a great education, I'd pick that every time. And if you wouldn't pick it, your priorities are wrong. Your priorities are wrong. I don't, we, we're not supposed to care about the same things that the world cares about. I don't, care a, I don't care a thing in the world about my kid being famous, right? Having a big YouTube channel, being some great sports star. I do care about them having a great education. I do care about that. That is a priority, but it's not the top priority. It's not the top priority. Sometimes I say things like this and people think, oh, were you against education? Well, you misunderstood what I said. I'm not against education at all. I think education is very important. It's just not more important than the main things. It's not more important. And if, and if I had to pick, in other words, this is what I'm saying, if I could say it a little plainer. 
if my child was getting a great education, but I could tell they were drifting away from God, I would do anything it took to get their heart right with Jesus Christ. If I had to homeschool them, if I had to teach them myself, if I had to take a part-time job so that I could invest in their life, so that they would, that, that ship would turn just a little bit, that their heart would go back to God, I would do anything that it took to save my child and make sure that they came out loving God, loving His Word, and loving the church. And, I, and I, t- I talk to parents all the time. I talk to parents all the time. They can see it. They can see their kids going the wrong direction. They can see they're hanging out with the wrong friends. They can see they're, they're lukewarm, away from God, totally going the wrong direction. And here's what they think. Well, I hope they'll turn out all right. I mean, I did, right? This is what I hear. I mean, we all turned out all right. They'll turn out all right. Won't they? They'll grow out of it and those kind of things. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, as somebody that deals with it every day, not everybody turns out all right and not everybody grows out of it. And I'm always shocked at the people that say that anyway. They go, oh, we turned out all right. And I'm looking at them like, hold on a minute. You've had three divorces. <laughs> what do you mean you turned out all right? Is that what we're going for? Is that the standard now? <laughs> no. No, I don't want them to go through that. That's, that's what we're trying to prevent, right? We're trying to prevent them from going down the same path that led us here. We want them to go down a different path. So here's what I'm saying. I, t- I talk to parents all the time, that it, and some are. Don't misunderstand. We have a lot of amazing parents in this church. But I, I talk to parents all the time. It just seems like they're not willing to go far enough to save their child's life. And I'm just telling you, I would do whatever it took. I would do anything that it took. And with the help of God, the help of the Holy Spirit, it can be done. It's getting harder and harder because of the world that we live in. It's getting harder and harder because our nation's going the wrong direction morally. It's getting harder and harder because the public school system and our communities and the internet and TV and all these things seem to be fighting against us raising our kids the right way. It's getting harder and harder. And so it takes a parent that is very diligent. It takes a parent that is passionate about God, His Word, and the church themselves. Can't hope that for your kids if you don't have it. But it takes a parent that is very in tune, very focused, very diligent, and and has their priorities right, and knows what they're they're fighting for, and is willing to make some sacrifices for their kids. See, the, the problem that I see many times why parents won't make that sacrifice and fight for their kids is because the drifting happens so slowly. Like if they were drowning in a pool, you, you would jump in and you would save them. Even if you didn't know how to swim, you'd jump in and save them. I hope. Get a rope or something, right? You'd get a life preserver or something. If they were drowning right in front of your face, you'd jump in and do it. But the problem is that's not how it happens with our kids. It's very slow. And it's over time and it's over a period of months. It's over a period of years. And then you wake up one day and they're lost. You wake up one day, and many times, it's too late. But we have to be wise enough as parents to not just watch it happen slowly. We have to be wise enough to realize there's a problem, and they're going down the wrong track, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to adjust that. Amen? Okay, so getting back to the local church and building this in our, <clears throat> in our kids. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is, I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. This is God's idea of how the church would operate and how it would work. 
says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. In other words, he gave the church certain ministry gifts. And here's verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. How many of you know that's what we're doing here this morning? That's what we're doing. We're here. We're looking at the word of God. We're getting equipped for what purpose? He says to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Build up the church, build up the body of Christ. Did you know that in raising a family, one of the things that you're doing is building up the church and the body of Christ? Because when you raise strong kids and you raise them in church, then they're going to be effective in that church and doing the work of God. So as you build your family, you're building the church. So he says, these gifts that God gave the church... Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church of the body of Christ. You know, no Christian is excluded from this. Every Christian, everyone who gave their life to Christ, this is now their mission in life. This is now the biggest part of what they're supposed to be doing on the earth is is doing the work of God and building up the church, the body of Christ. You say, well, I just work construction or I, I just work over at the Walmart, you know, or I just do that. It doesn't matter. That, that's what you do, and that's secondary. But while you're doing that, and while you're getting paid to do that, this is your real purpose, is to do the work of God, build up the church and the body of Christ. And many times, uh, this is unfortunate, that many people think the, the most effective thing they could do for God somehow is go into the ministry, be a pastor, be a missionary. You know, that is, that is not true at all. The vast majority of people that come into the kingdom of God come from from people just like you that carry the light of the gospel everywhere they go. And they have conversations and they talk to friends and they talk to family and they raise their family and they share that light everywhere that they go. And in doing that, you're doing the work of God. You're building up the church. You're building up the body of Christ. So I want my children... To have a part in God's greater story. But in order to do that, they will have to be part of the body of Christ. Because that's how God works. See, that's like we have our military. And you may have a person. Well, let, let, me, let me not get quite so serious. Let's back up and say like a sports team. Like I had in, for example, in, uh, when I was a youth pastor. I used to bring a lot of kids from the LeCount area that would come over to our church and we would play basketball and things like that. And I, I, I was a basketball player. I played basketball in high school. And, you know, there, that was a huge commitment, right, to, to go to practice, you know, be coached, be yelled at, you know, spit on, all of that, you know, run it, run into your guts, you know, you threw your guts up, all of that. And that was a big commitment to do that. Well, when we would bring these kids to play, we'd, we would play sometimes. And every now and then you would find a kid that was just phenomenal, amazing, unbelievable basketball player. And then you'd say, man, where do you play? And they'd say, oh, I don't play bad. I don't, I don't play for a team. Well, what? You have this amazing gift. Why don't you play in this? I heard this so many times. Well, I don't like the coach. And I'm like, man, so you have this amazing gift, but because you can't be part of a structure and a system, you're not using that gift. You're just wasting it. And I see that in the body of Christ sometimes with people that they, this is how they think. Oh, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. Same mentality. It's the same mentality. The same mentality of, well, 
I, I'm a Christian, but you, know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, right? Well, you don't have to be on a team to be a basketball player. But you're not going to be very effective out by yourself. You're not going to win any games. You're not going to score any points. You're not going to do anything out by yourself. And listen, this is how God works. This is his system and this is his structure. And don't think for one second that you're going to just go outside of that and abandon what he's doing and think that you're going to do something great for God. Because he works inside the system that he created. He works inside the structure that he created. And he hasn't given up on the church. Listen closely, please. He has not given up on the church. So what business do you have giving up on the church? What business do any of us saying, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I ain't going to church no more. And I'm not talking about this church. Hey, all of y'all are here this morning, right? So I, you know, I'm not getting on you. I'm just saying this mentality, this mentality of, well, I, you know, I'm not going to church anymore because they're just a bunch of hypocrites at church. I like to say, well, there's one less since you're not coming. But it, I don't ever say that. I mean, I, I never actually say that. I just, just think it. But, oh, well, there's hypocrites church. Or I had this bad experience. Yeah, fine. You know, I had some bad experiences in my marriage. Guess what? I didn't give up on it. I kept fighting for it. I kept loving. I kept going. Yeah, because sometimes you, in a family you have hard times, but you don't, you don't abandon it and you don't quit and you don't give up. And listen, the church is God's family. The church is God's family. So I don't like that mentality of, well, I'm a Christian, but, you know, and they don't hold the church in high regard because somehow the church is not perfect or you don't, well, I don't know, I'm not getting anything out of church or whatever. Listen, God loves the church. He gave his life for the church. He's working on this earth through the church. He will never give up on the church. It will be how he works and operates all the way until Jesus comes back. So you might as well just repent of that mindset and get back involved, get plugged in, and be where you're supposed to be. Because I never want to find myself judging something that was God's business to judge and putting myself in that seat. I like the one thing that Jesus said to his disciples one time. He looked at him and he said, hey, he said, you know, the student's not greater than the teacher. The student's not greater than the teacher. What does that mean? He said, don't ever put yourself in a position that I'm supposed to be in. Don't ever raise your mindset or your ideas above mine. The student's not greater than the teacher. You need to look to me and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. If I love the church, if I forgive the church, if I'm still investing in the church, that's what you need to be doing because you're my follower. Amen? Okay, so he says he gave the gifts, their responsibilities to equip the uh, people of God to do the work of the ministry, build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue, this process will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is what we're working for. This is what we're all working for. Not just pastors. We are working with God to bring his body, the body of Christ, to full maturity and full knowledge of God. We're doing that with each other. We're doing that with our families. We're doing that with our kids. Verse 14. Then... We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Again, I encounter this all the time. Christians, people that have the label of Christian, they call themselves Christian, but they have the wrong mindset, the wrong mentality on almost every topic. 
You ask them about uh, gay marriage. You ask them about transgender. You ask them about issues on and on, abortion like we talked about this morning. You ask them on every issue. They have a wrong mindset. They're on the wrong side of the issue on almost every issue. Why? He tells us right here. Because they're not mature. They're not mature in their knowledge and their understanding of Christ. Because if they were, he said, you wouldn't be tossed and blown about by every new teaching. You wouldn't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever they sound like the truth. Are we encountering that right now as a nation? It's being, things are being taught in universities. Medical professionals are telling us things. Counselors are telling us things. Things that are 100% lies and 100% opposite from the Word of God. He says that is counteracted by what the church does and by the mission of the church. When the church does its job of proclaiming truth and teaching truth and equipping the saints, he says that the church will rise to a level of maturity that they're not tricked and they're not deceived by these clever lies that sound like the truth. Instead, verse 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So, it's a pretty simple diagnosis. I, I will admit and acknowledge that the lies that are being told today are very clever. They sound, many times, they sound very loving. They sound very compassionate. They sound like they're coming out of a, of a place of, uh, you know, love for other people and things like that and that's how deception is it's the best deceptions are very sneaky very tricky very clever and he says but a mature believer who's filled with the knowledge of the word of God they'll recognize it for what it is immediately this is another reason why it's crucial that we create a love and a passion for our children for church because when they're in church and they grow up in church and they're hearing the word of God constantly and regularly they can easily spot lies and deception they can easily spot lies and deception that they hear on the internet, that they hear on television, that they see in every, just about every single commercial that comes on TV. Things that are trying to be shoved down the throat of the culture. They can spot it and go, that's a lie. That ain't the word of God. I'm not buying that. Because they've been filled with the knowledge of God and they've been brought to a place of maturity. So they need to be part of this process. Our kids need to be part of this process. Many of the problems that we've experienced as adults were a product of not being raised in a church like I'm talking about right now. Many of the problems that you experienced in your life, maybe as a teenager in the beginning years of, you know, coming out of high school and college and marriage, maybe first marriage, second marriage, some of the problems that we experienced in life were a result of not being raised like this in a good church where we were hearing the word of God. And I hear it all the time as a pastor. People come and they say, my God, if I, if I had just known this or heard this back in the day, my whole life would have been different. My kids' lives would have been different. Yeah, that's the value of the church. That's the, that's the power of the church. That's the value of the church is we hear things and we learn things that that little piece of information, that little bit of knowledge can change the whole direction and course of our path. And listen, some of you are hearing things right now some of you are hearing things right now about your family and about your children that what you do with it is going to determine their future. That's how serious it is. 
Some of you as parents are hearing things right now that you go, oh man, I need to correct course on this. And if you don't do it, your children will pay the price. And their children will pay the price. That's how important it is. It's crucial that when we hear the word of God and we hear truth that we adjust to it. If not, we'll pay the price and our kids will as well. Okay, so how do we create this love in our children for the church? How do we create this? Because yeah, hopefully, you know, if you're here this morning, you're convinced, okay, yeah, we want our kids raised in church. How do you create it? Well, the first step as has been the first step in every one of these issues we've talked about. Maybe somebody could tell me now. But first step is model it. It has to be modeled by you. In other words, you have to love the church. The church, when, when, you, when it comes time for Sunday morning, what is your attitude? What, what is your attitude about the weekend, about church, about when we go to church, when we don't go to church? What, whatever you're doing and however you think about that, you are passing that on to your children. If every Sunday morning it's a given, no doubt, get up, get ready, set the alarm, we're going to church, feel good, don't feel good, mom and daddy's been arguing, they've been getting along, doesn't matter, Everybody get, in the church, everybody get in the car, we're going to church. If that's the mentality, that's being passed on to your kids. If the mentality is, well, we don't go to church for certain exceptions, you know, for certain reasons. Or if the mentality is, well, we go, you know, once a month, a couple times a month, whatever. Just remember, you're putting that in your kids. And they will pay the price for it. I'm not telling you you have to be in church every single time the doors are open. We've got things now like live stream. You can, you can catch up. Some people work jobs that... Do not allow them to be in church every time the, the doors are open. I, I'm not saying that. Uh, but what I am saying is just remember whatever you're doing, you're, that you're communicating it to your kids. And it speaks way louder than anything you say. The Modeling it is the most powerful thing you can do to create, it, to create it in your kids. In other words, if you love the church and you're passionate about the church, your kids are going to love the church. Especially when you have both parents involved that are on the same team doing it together. As a matter of fact, this is the number one predictor. I want to give you this study. There's so many out there. I read several this week, but uh, this is one of the ones that, that uh, stuck out to me the most. But there's so many studies that actually show and predict whether or not kids will attend church as adults. The number one predictor, number one in all the studies across the board always of how committed children will be to church when they become adults is what their parents did. That's number one. What, what did their parents do? In a 1994 study done in Switzerland, and it was done specifically on the role of fathers, it, it found that when the mother attends church regularly, this might sound discouraging at first, when the mother attends church regularly, only one child out of 50 will end up becoming a regular attender themselves. It's only 2%. When both parents attend faithfully, 75% of kids will become regular church attenders themselves. The most shocking part of the study was that that 75% number did not change when the father attended church only and the mother did not. That shows you how powerful the role of a dad is in the home. Now, you might think, well, 
that's discouraging because that's not the kind of family I have or that's not the kind of family I'm, I'm raised in. Well, keep this in mind. These studies are done across all kinds of churches. And not trying to be rude, but there's some really bad churches out there. I mean, there's, there's some really crazy churches out there. There's some really d- wild, you know, denominations out there. Uh, some really dead denominations out there. And this study's done across all denominations. So what I say in a church that is spirit-filled, loving, you know, has all the elements we've been talking about this morning, if only the mother attends, is it going to be one out of 50? No. But I can see across the board where it might be. But the point is this. Both parents matter, and when both parents attend together, it impacts the kids. And I think that no matter what situation you find yourself in, you bring them and you be faithful and you pray over them and you believe God and you get other people in the church to help you. And whatever situation you find you're in, that's going to be passed, that's going to, be passed to our kids, I believe. So number one, we have to model it. Number two, kind of already talked about this a little bit, but we have to make sure that they are in a church where they are having fun with an amazing children and youth program. I think that's very important. I believe coming to church should be fun. Now, it's not like going to Six Flags or something like that. It's not like, you know, skydiving. But still, we should have fun. When I come in here on a Sunday morning, and I see people out in the foyer, and they're laughing, and they're having coffee, and they're making fun of each other, and they're having a good time. And then I go back in the kids' church, and I see kids running around the walls. I think we just installed a rock wall on one of the walls. They're back there climbing. And then you got the youth building. They're playing you know, ping pong and all, and then they worship God. They're praising. They got their hands lifted. They're hearing a good sermon. Yeah, church can be fun. Church, whoever told us that church had to be the most boring thing ever for kids? It's not supposed to be like that. They ought to have a good time when they come to church. What we hear, actually what I hear a lot from this church and what I see a lot from this church sometimes is kids that want to come to church more than their parents. I guess that's because I'm not doing a great job. I'm not sure. Maybe they're doing a great job back there, and it's the, I don't know. But I could do, I guess I could start doing some acrobatics things in here to make y'all have a better time. But so many times, actually, we hear, I, I mean, I, it gets back to me from kids, from youth. I, you know, some youth will say, oh, yeah, we want to be there, but, you know, my parents were doing this, that, or the other. Their kids want to be in church, and they won't bring them. That happens. It shouldn't be like that. Our kids shouldn't be dragging us to church. <laughs> we ought to be dragging them to church. But, but if they are dragging us to church, what a good sign that they're having that good of a time at church that they want to be here. And listen, if you have a child, please, I, I'm going to try to be so nice when I say this, but if you have a child that is begging you to bring them to church and you can't open your eyes to see the importance of getting them here in that window of time where they're hungry for God, open for God, you, you just need a lightning bolt upside the head. If your kids are wanting to come to church and you can't bring them to church, just come up here after service. I'm going to lay hands on you, pray on you, get a few men around you, elbow you a little bit, something. We got to get you, we got to wake you up a little bit. But my goodness, my, if your kids want to be at church, you got to make the sacrifice to, to bring them because so many times a child has a window in their life where they're open to the things of God. And once that window closes, it's very difficult to get it back open. So you need to ha- have your eyes open and, and pay attention to that. Amen? So we want to make sure, number one, that we're modeling it ourselves. But number two, we want to make sure that our kids are part of a church where they're having fun, 
there's an amazing children and youth programs, and they're, they're part of it. Make sure that they're part of it. Make sure that they go to camp. Make sure they take part of the events. Make, come to air you. Let them jump. Let them have fun. Let them, you know, be around other youth and kids. Let them have a good time at church. Let them laugh. Let them have a good time while they're at church. Let them learn that the things of God are fun. The people of God are fun. The church of God is fun. They need to know that. They need to associate that so that it'll be part of their whole life. Now, I want to show you a quick, a quick video clip, and then we're going to uh, be done this morning. But I want, to, I want to show you a quick video clip. This is from youth camp. There's a couple weeks ago, we had youth camp. And this was uh, the last night of camp, and there was something very unique that happened. I've been doing camps my whole life, part of youth camps my whole life, and this was something very unique that happened the last night of camp. Now, what you're going to see just to kind of set it up, because it's about a one-minute video, but, and we can't show you the whole thing. It goes on for a long, long time, but we just want to show you one little clip. But what you're, what's going on is these kids have been worshiping for a long time. This is, this is the last night of camp. They're all on fire for God. They're down to the front. They're worshiping. And it just they've been down there so long that the band kind of died out and stopped playing, and the kids would not stop. They would not stop singing and worshiping. Some of the youth got on stage and started leading the other kids. There's no music. There's no instruments. And they just started having fun in the presence of God. Now, I don't, some of you are going to look at this and be like, I had never seen that in church before. That's okay. That's okay. Because how do you know, how do you know Jesus is not a stiff? He's not just like this, you know, the halo they show around his head. Like, oh, you know, that's, he was a. He was a real person. God has a sense of humor. He created humor. He created fun. He created joy. So you're going to see this. These kids, they just started having fun in the presence of God. They're singing. They're dancing. They're having a good time. And this was the thing that caught my eye. Some of those same kids, because I know some of their stories, some of those same kids a week ago were diagnosed as depressed on antidepressants, some of them suicidal. But watch being in the presence of God, being for one week separated from their culture, separated from their phone, separated from the internet. They didn't have any access to any of that. Separated from some of the friends they needed to be separated from. I want you to watch the, the joy and the peace that was in that room. Let's show this for just a minute here.
Now, I, I show you that because that, those moments can't be created. You can't, you can't fabricate that. And I've been part of camps where they, you spend the whole camp trying to get a kid to just break out of a shell, trying to, you know, man, just raise your hand something. Just anything, let, God, let us know you're alive, you know, anything. And, man, for that to happen the way it did, and look, that's one minute. That went on for, for almost an hour, just kids worshiping, having fun. And after they'd been worshiping and all that, see, that's the kind of experience we want a kid to have. We want them to know, you don't have to, coming to church doesn't mean you got to be half dead. You can come to church and you can have a good time. You can worship to God. You can worship God and God loves to see joy in your life. He loves to see you happy. He loves to see you excited. He loves to see all of that. And that's one of the things that we want to instill in our kids. And this is one reason I say it's so important to have your kids as part of things like this. And we sent 53 youth to, to camp this year. So, man, congrats to the, to the parents. Kudos to you because I know that's a sacrifice and that's the most kids we've ever sent to camp before. But that's why I wouldn't have my kid miss camp for nothing in the world. Because you'll never get that back. It may not be at the next camp. I don't know. You don't know. I want them to have every opportunity they have to encounter God, love God, experience God. And I don't want them to miss one. Amen. 